Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we will continue our reflections into this very, very rich text, the book of Genesis, a text that has us asking so many questions about our faith. Not only where did God come from, but what is this business of, you know, having two creation accounts? We've already hit that, and, and we're going to speak to that a little bit more because we're going to be getting into the second creation account. But really, th- this book has us talking about, thinking about the purpose and meaning of life itself. So this program isn't just about responding to an apologetic question, but getting into the heart of what it means to be called a son or daughter of God. So the book of Genesis, while it has many questions on the outside there are also many questions to be dealt with on the inside, if you will. Okay, so yes, there are externals to deal with, but there are always at once in the spiritual life internals to deal with. Okay, because as we will be reminded this evening, we are just not matter, but matter and spirit as God breathes life into us, giving us a rational soul. Okay, so with that, if you have your Bibles out, I think what I want to do today, we're not going to be able to get through all of the second creation account, but if we can get to verse 14, that would be good. So I will read verses 4 to 14. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Okay, so this second creation account. (laughs) So much to talk about in these verses. Uh, First of all, this verse 4 here, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Remember what we talked about, I think, in our opening program? 
Uh, these are the generations, a formula that introduces kind of new phases of history and narrative in Genesis. If you were to go back to what we talked about as it relates to uh, structure of this book, remember that Genesis can be divided neatly into two major movements, right? Chapters 1 to 11 cover the distant eons, if you will, of primeval history, while chapters 12 to 50 cover the shorter span of patriarchal history. And there, if you were to go to Genesis chapter 12, who do we read about? But Abraham, right? So patriarchal history starts with Abraham, and we have that dated as roughly 1850 BC. So what is going on here? Well, these two movements, differing in scope and perspective, create, how did we talk about it? How did the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible talk about it? But this kind of funnel effect, right? Where you have the primeval narrative being cosmic in scope, stretching across undateable ages. And as it does, it presents a world that is steadily beaten down by sin, right? In contrast, we have uh, the patriarchal narrative, which narrows the focus to a single family instead of the human family as a whole. So we could say that it slows the pace of the story down. And as it does, it kind of outlines God's plan to restore the world to a state of, well, what does Genesis chapter 12 verses 1, 2, and 3 say? To a state of blessing, right? Now, getting back to verse 4, within these two halves, the internal structure of Genesis is marked off by this kind of recurring formula. These are the generations. These are the descendants. This is the history. These stock phrases, if you will, give us once again a new phase of history. So 11 times in the book of Genesis, we hear of these phrases. And as we do, each time they point the way forward to a new phase or development in the story itself. Of course, this usually references a significant ancestor. So who is it that we are talking about in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4? But our first ancestor, Adam. So this phrase is important, and stylistically, as it relates to the actual writing and, and genre of writing, to read that phrase is to anticipate a new phase in history. Now, what else have I said here that has popped up? We also talked about the distinction between Elohim and Yahweh. That is, God who creates and Yahweh, that more personal God. Verse 4b, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Remember how we talked about it before. God just doesn't create for the sake of creating. He creates because he is love. And that's what love does. It creates. So he creates so as to father. Now, if you were to go to verse 5, something interesting happens, and, and all the commentaries pick up on this. Verse 5 says, When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Now, in this second creation account, man is formed before the vegetation and animals. What's interesting, and this is certainly a question that has come up, in the first creation account, man is created after the vegetation animal. So what's going on here, Joe? <laughs> Why is it one and then the other 
as we move from the first creation account to the second creation account? Well, this discrepancy does not amount to any kind of contradiction insofar as, my friends, the first account is not meant to be a chronological description of the actual stages of creation. And I know that we touched upon that already, and what we're seeing here is but an illustration of that. So there's no uh, contradiction or discrepancy. Moving forward in this narrative, I really wanted to talk about verse 7, because I do think there's much to be discussed here. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God formed man. What does this evoke? This evokes the image of a potter shaping a vessel out of clay, right? Uh, we see something similar in Job chapter 10, verse 9. How about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. What do we read there? Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Isaiah also speaks to this uh, same thing in Isaiah chapter 5, 45, verse 9. What is the importance of this imagery, especially <laughs> in the light of the fact that verse 7 in creation has us thinking about this imagery? Well, brothers and sisters, let us just take a step back and kind of think about those images in of themselves. What does it mean to think about what a potter does to clay? How the potter needs the clay to be pliable, right? How the potter needs the clay to give the potter access to do whatever the potter needs to do. Brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of God, we need to allow God to purify us. We are the clay. This is what Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 is talking about. We need to allow him to take out those pieces of gravel, those pieces of sand and so on that we just might be conformed as we are intended to be conformed to the potter, shaped as we are intended to be shaped according to the potter. What happens when clay hardens and it goes into the oven. It breaks, right? It breaks. When clay hardens, it cannot stand the heat of the oven. Brothers and sisters, God is love and as such, he is, what does divine revelation reveal about God's love? Fire. Fire. If we do not allow ourselves to be made pliable by the hands of the potter, where he might continually form us as he ought and just become uh, a hard vase, a hard vessel in his hands of heat, we will break. We will break. So we have to allow ourselves to continue to be the kind of clay he wants us to be, which is a clay that is always pliable. And in the context of our relationship with God and the Trinity, always docile to his will. Because as we do this, as we allow the potter to continually form us to him, we will become that perfect vessel that he has intended us to be. What is that great passage that comes to us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 48? Be perfect 
as my heavenly Father is perfect. Be the clay that God intended you to be, and you will become the person that you need to be. Okay, so the potter and the clay, very important. How about this language of uh, man and ground? There's a fun wordplay there, <laughs> because in the Hebrew, man is what? Adam, Adam, and, and the ground is Adama, Adama. So here we have man, Adam, coming from the ground, Adama, from which he is made. If you go to the book of Sirach, chapter 3, verse 10, you see a reference to this, incidentally. So here we have the creation of man out of dirt or clay. We, we see references to dust, of course, dust is symbolic of what? If you were to fast forward to chapter 3, verse 9, we see that it is symbolic of human mortality. Uh, human mortality. How about breath of life? That animating principle. We know that man is unique and that God has made him a composite of what? Of matter and spirit, right? A, a being who possesses a body, yes, but also a rational soul. What did we read there in verse 7? a living soul. So Adam was not only created with natural or biological life, but was infused with the supernatural life of grace and holiness. Thus, from his first breath, we know that Adam was a man who was upright and a son of God. From his first breath, this ruah of God, this breath of God breathed life into man. Now, I wanted to turn to John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles out, I want you to turn to John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, because there, in a series of very important verses, you have an allusion to this second creation account and God breathing life into man. So if you can turn to John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, there we read, Jesus said, and here he's speaking to the apostles, of course, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Brothers and sisters, what just happened there? What was Jesus doing? What have I said in the past about reading sacred scripture? How we are called to read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. What do we read in John chapter 5, verse 39? You search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me. All things, Jesus says in the Old Testament, bear witness to him as he is the fulfillment to the whole prophetic thrust and revelation of the Old Testament. On the road to Emmaus, what is Jesus doing? He's showing them how he is a new Moses. And if you were to go carefully through the Gospel of Matthew and all the Gospels, what you will find is he's also, what? A new Noah, a new, a new David, a new Moses, and so on and so forth. What is my point? You cannot possibly understand the old if you don't know the new and the new if you don't know the old. That's the whole point. Why? Because there is this kind of continuity between the two. So when you read something in the New Testament, a particular word or phrase, often what you'll find is it echoing something in the Old Testament. 
resounding, if you will, something in the Old Testament. And what is going on here? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, is what? Echoing, resounding what took place in creation when he was creating man. Well, what is verses 21 to 23 all about? What is Jesus doing? He's giving the apostles the power to forgive sins. It's explicit. Did Jesus forgive sins? Of course he did. But he also gave the apostles the power to forgive sins. And this is where, of course, we get the sacrament of confession. I go to this because what's the whole point of confession? Becoming a new man, right? So just as God breathes life into Adam, right, Adam, and he has a living soul, so we are renewed in our souls when the Holy Spirit is breathing new life into us and in through the priest. Why? Because Jesus said as much. We also have a reference to this in James 5. Okay, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. A garden. Well, a long time ago, probably five, six years ago, I did a whole word study on garden and and what it meant, and I talked about it on air, and I'm not expecting any of you to remember that, so I'll just touch upon that now. The Hebrew word for garden best translates as a pleasure park. What you have in the Garden of Eden was something extraordinarily beautiful that was pleasure to the eyes and something that was fertile, something that was bearing life. And as far as the East goes, I know I get questions about this. Where are we at here? Where is the Garden of Eden today? Well, East of of where? But Palestine. The geographical data in verses 10 to 14 that I read suggest that the Garden of Eden would have been somewhere in then Mesopotamia, uh, today, modern-day Iraq, okay? So somewhere in modern-day Iraq. I have always found it fascinating to juxtapose the then and now. Isn't it interesting that one of the greatest war zones in history, Iraq, (laughs) is where the Garden of Eden probably was? Satan took what was once beautiful and made it into a war zone, because this is what uh, Satan does. He takes that which is beautiful and his desire is to turn it into something ugly, because this is what Satan is. He's ugly. All right, verse 9, tree of life, knowledge of good and evil. Again, when you talk about tree of life, if dust was that which was symbolic of human mortality, then the tree of life is that which is symbolic of immortality. What about the knowledge of good and evil? Certainly we have to speak to that. I I got a question about this as well. I got a series of questions leading into these verses, by the way, uh, this Monday. Joe, can you make sure you talk about uh, the plan? Can you make sure you talk about God forming man? Can you make sure you talk about the breath of life in John 20? Can you make sure you talk about the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil? So I'm trying to as I go through this, respond to your questions. What is going on here with the knowledge of good and evil? And to some extent, again, we're pulling from the commentaries and church fathers. In principle, when you talk about the knowledge of good and evil, we are not talking about 
a moral awareness of right and wrong which man possessed from the beginning as a rational creature. But really, and I think this to be important to, to highlight, the legal authority to determine what is good and evil. We see this specifically drawn out in 2 Samuel 14, verse 17, as well as 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. What we see here is how Adam will presume to wield this authority over the moral order, though it belongs, of course, exclusively to God. Overstepping his bounds, what does Adam do? He attempts to break free from the limits of, of being a creature who is made to love and serve God with the free submission of his will. And we highlight free submission of his will because in the end, remember, you cannot have love without free will. This is a huge question that I get often. Joe, if God is a God of love, why is there evil in the world? My response is always, it is because God is love that there is evil in the world. What do I mean? How can you possibly love without free will? Love always comes from within, not from without. Love can never be imposed, coerced, browbeated, but only and always freely given. I mean, if you're struggling to understand this, just ask yourself the question, have you ever loved someone just because they told you to love them? No, of course not, because that's not genuine love. Love must always come from within, not from without. Because love always, in its origin, springs forth from the heart. This is why we read in uh, the gospel those all-important words, come and see. This is why we see time and time again Jesus not imposing, but inviting. You see, my friends, I can't possibly love if I don't have free will. Now, here's the thing. If I have free will, that means I have what before me? A choice. A choice between what? Right from wrong. Okay? Right from wrong. So free will is really an intrinsic necessity to love itself. Because if there is no free will, you cannot possibly have love. Often when I get asked about this question as it relates to God and evil is when something bad happens in the world. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> God didn't make anyone choose the bad. And he can't stop that. Why? Because free will. This is why it is so, so important to become, well, what did we already talk about? The clay, the vessel, and the potter's hands. That we never stop allowing him to shape and to form us because otherwise we might get hard and break in his very hot hands, okay? So huge point here as we talk about what was going on in the Garden of Eden. And, and I know we haven't spoken yet to the fall. We're really going to get into what it means to talk about temptation which will be very timely because what, what did Pope Francis just talk about? He was talking about that phrase, that petition in Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation. And he was wondering about the Greek there. And I think we would be well served to talk about that, and we will for sure in coming weeks. So that's just a teaser, I know. But uh, again, we're going to do it within the context of 
the fall, and how temptation works. Because I know a lot of us out there have a lot of questions about temptation, certainly after the words of Pope Francis over this past week. All right, with that, we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, observations, please do not hesitate to send me an email. You can go to my website at joeholcraft.org, J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org. Just, just go to the contact link button there, hit it, and send your message on its way. I love receiving your emails, uh, just not your questions, but again, also your observations, your comments. You know, from time to time, I take what you say to me with your permission, and I bring it on air because you have insights to share as well. You have a lot of insights to share, and that's important to me. No, that's important to me. I, I teach online, and I was telling the students, of whom are very well-versed <laughs> religious, many of them, that they have something to share. You know, that while I am your teacher, I am to a student learning from you. And while I might have studied certain subject matter a little more than you, the reality is the Holy Spirit is always wanting to reveal something new. And it is always a great joy for me to read something from you, as I might read something from a student of mine as they share what's on their heart, as they study whatever it is they're called to study. So here we're studying the book of Genesis. If you have something to share and you want me to talk about it, and it just doesn't have to be a question, share it with me. And uh, again, with your permission, I will take it on air. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.